good evening, guys. Welcome back. We missed you guys last week with the weather and the cold and, man, tell you what, rough. Um, but I'm excited. I love these topics. I was excited about it last week. I was actually sad we couldn't be here. As much as I hate getting out in the cold, I was excited to come. But um, we're going to continue on with the life of Jesus. We're in Matthew chapter 4, if you have your Bibles with us. The last time we talked about um, Jesus was baptized, um, and this is the next kind of experience that we read about with Jesus, and that is his temptation in the wilderness. Um, so if you have Matthew chapter 4, this is starting in verse 1, and it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Seems reasonable. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every good word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up into an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall not, you shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and ministered to him. So there's a lot of questions I have about this. Um, number one is, why did Jesus have to be tempted? So Hebrews chapter 4, 14 uh, through 16 says, Having then a great high priest who hath passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And sometimes with, with the scripture using basically the negative reinforcement, what it's saying is, is that we do have a high priest that is touched with the feeling of our infirmities because he's been tempted in all points like as we are, and then it puts this stinger on, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with boldness into the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us in the time of need. And, you know, I'm sure if you're like me, your, your first temptation is, well, come on now, you know, J Jesus hasn't been tempted the same as because he hasn't lived in our day, yada, yada, yada. Well, I, I don't think that that's what the Scripture is trying to say. The Scripture is, is basically saying that in everything that is common, so in the area of lust, Jesus was tempted yet without sin. In the area of, of gluttony, Jesus was tempted yet without sin, so on and so forth. So in, in the general sense, Jesus was tempted in every point that you and I are yet without sin. So this was certainly the start of it, um, the, the, the food, uh, then the protection. He was, the devil was offering the protection of the angels, and then, of course, worshiping Satan. Uh, one other thing I'll just throw in real quick. This is something I heard from another preacher, and it, I've never forgotten it. The devil started out reasonable. You're hungry. Feed yourself. You, you can do it. You're the son of God. That's reasonable. Then he went to arguable. Why don't you throw yourself off this pinnacle and make the angels protect you? Then he went to the, just the downright outlandish. 
bow down and worship me, and I'll give you everything that you want. So essentially, he had to be tempted because he had to experience everything we experience. He wouldn't be our high priest Correct. if he didn't have to experience temptation. Correct. Um, so the next question I would have is, what would even be tempting to Jesus? Like how he's, he's God with skin on. What would even be tempting to Jesus After and why? After a 40-day fast, a piece of bread, probably right. pretty good. And even that, though, if you think about it, like he performed miracles. He was capable of performing miracles. He was hungry. The later. fast yeah. was over. He had he had spent 40 days fasting and um, communing with God. What would have been so bad about turning those stones into bread? He could do it. Fast was finished. What would have been so bad about that temptation? Well, he, he redirects Satan to God's word. And God's word is what we should all feast on ultimately should be what our life ebbs from is from God's uh, word. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, um, for the rain and the snow come not, come not down from heaven and cometh down from heaven and return to it. They don't come down and return to it without making the bud, the earth bud and flourish so that it brings forth um, seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Start to finish from the seed being sown to the bread being finished. The whole uh, thing, God's word supplies all of those needs, supplies everything from start to finish. So God's words to start beginning and the end for all, all believers. So I did a Bible study on this. It's been 10 years ago, so I'm pulling out some, I feel like Gavin pulling out some old books, but um, what this There's preacher had said, yeah, no, no kidding. Uh, so what he had said about this is first, Satan is tempting him in the physical to fulfill Correct. the lust of the flesh. And this is representing just period, what we we deal with the lust of the flesh, be it, like you said, lust sexually, lust for food, lust for fill in the blank. Um, and he's just do what feels good. You know, just just do it. It just represents like what we have to deal with still today uh, is relevant to what we deal with on earth. Like you said, yeah, yeah he did have to deal with what we still deal with. Um, but he was tempting Jesus to act independently from God in God's will, uh, which is the heart of all of our sin. So he was saying, just turn it into bread, you can, except for it wasn't God's will for him to right. turn these stones into bread. Um, and he was also tempting Jesus to not suffer all the things as man has to suffer, but to supernaturally avoid discomfort, which would have disqualified him as Correct. our high priest, as Hebrews said. Correct. So it's not that he couldn't do it. It was just that he was acting independently of God, and it would have caused him to supernaturally avoid discomfort and it was god's will for him to have to have discomfort so how like does that we fit would in with people that tell us it's not god's will that you suffer it's right. not god's will just, that you just you know god wouldn't want you to be unhappy this god's darn will. marriage you've got you don't you shouldn't be unhappy get out of that thing god just wants me to be happy and, and guys i'm telling you all of us at the very depths of our heart we feel that way we may not give <coughs> lip service but we, that's what we want. I just want to be happy. Well, that's simply not what God wants for you. What God wants for you is for you to bring glory to him. And, and here's the catch 22. If you and I will sell out to live our lives to bring glory to him, he will bring happiness. He will bring contentment. He will bring peace. And contentment and peace can't help but bring happiness uh, on some level. I want to go back real quick to one thing you, question you asked. What? What really can tempt God? He's God. And, and, and that, that is accurate. That's biblically, theologically accurate. 
but you've got to marry that with he's also all man. Correct. And yep. so the, the truest answer to that is everything. Everything that tempts you and I tempted Christ, yet without sin. I, I had one odd question. Now, we say God will not tempt us, and we can say that it wasn't God tempting Jesus. It was Satan Correct. tempting Jesus. But did God have to give Satan permission to tempt Jesus like he gave Satan permission to tempt Job? I, I'll be honest with you, just, I mean, just the way the scripture lies out, and I mean, this could be right or wrong, but it said, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Sure. I so, mean, I feel like it was part of the plan. So they just didn't possibly write that discussion that Jesus had with, I mean, that God had with Satan, like, there's my son, he is blameless, go tempt him, he, you can't cause him to stumble. Yeah, um, I, I think the inference is okay. I, I don't know that that, that necessarily had to happen. Um, I, I think that, you know, you, you've got two superpowers. You know, uh, granted, there is, no, there is no comparison to the superpower of God compared to the superpower of the devil, but there's also no comparison of the superpower of the devil to our power. Right. So he is certainly a superpower compared to us. So you got two superpowers at odds. I mean, it just to me, it just makes sense that that once he's because he, he was just baptized, so he's made the declaration: "I'm here, I'm the ready king, to serve." Kingdom of God is at hand, and so the second power comes right at that moment and says, "Let's see what you're made of." Type thing. And the when we the question was, what would tempt God? It may, may not have even been spoken in this passage of Scripture, but if you think about it, to me, if, God, if somebody made me God for the day, my temptation would be to end evil then. Evil's done. No more evil. I would think that maybe that was a temptation here. Could, could, you, could it be possible, Jesus said, maybe my biggest temptation is to end you right now? Would, would that be a temptation just to stop all... <laughs> Just right. not, your not work go right through now. all of it. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's kind of getting into the second and third temptation, which is the second temptation is um, he says, I'm going to take, he took him to the temple. Just throw yourself off the temple. I personally, and just this, again, a Bible study that I went through, um, that would have been tempting because he would have just descended from the temple in front of all these people. Just imagine it. He throws himself off the temple and he just is not, and he just floats down. The right. angels attend him, and he just, and then immediately everyone would have to accept him as Christ. So no more rejection by man, no struggling here. I mean, just immediate acceptance, and that's a temptation <laughs> for all of us is acceptance, is it not? Sure. And so that's like him saying, like, you know what? Um, you can avoid all this discomfort and suffering. You can avoid the cross. Just descend down and let them see you and everybody will just worship you immediately recognize you're the messiah let me there will be no doubt. struggle let right. me remove all doubt about me being the savior the son of god well, yeah. oh go ahead well, but, but now you got to also though throw in the the competing argument that satan on no level wanted jesus to be who he was and and what he so in in my humble opinion I mean, I see exactly what you're saying, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure that that wasn't exactly Satan's hope because, I mean, he rose people from the dead. He walked on the water. I don't know that coming from a temple without, you know, dashing to the death would have would have persuaded the people that just, they just, you know, they weren't going to have it. 
And, and I don't know that in the devil's mind, he wasn't thinking this is the quickest way to show this guy for the fraud he is. I don't know. I, well, again, I think it goes to just that was not God's will. He was, no doubt. He was trying to no get doubt. Jesus to do something that wasn't God's intention right. for that time. But it does show us something about Satan in this passage because he makes it sound so spiritual. Oh, yeah, and right. can't Satan do well, that? He quotes verses. Well, yeah, Correct. That, that's what I was going to say. Is And there, there's a, two sides of that coin. Is Doesn't Satan know the outcome of this? He's quoting scripture. So if, if he's quoting, or unless he just didn't read that part, you know. But So he's quoting scripture. But the one thing I thought about is God, Jesus was not tempted. But like Ben said, the man in him has free will. I would believe the man has the choice. There's a theological argument on that, but I believe that. Right. So so it's almost like the, the split personality. Jesus is like, sure. stop it. Sure. So there was probably a part of Jesus that wanted to do What's it. What's that fancy word, Brad? The impeccability of Christ is the theological stance that Jesus could mm-hmm. not sin because he's God. Okay, And again, I, I don't take that stand, but there are lots of folks that you and I agree with a lot that believe that. Well, because then I don't think it matters that, one way or the other. You're right, because then this is, that's another discussion. Because yeah, then wouldn't yeah. it take the manhood out right, of right, Jesus? Right, yeah. But but then their argument is, is yeah, but you can't take the godhood out either. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you talk about you're a mulberry circles, bush. Yeah. It's not a battlefield to die on. No, so, no. Two, two things on Matthew uh, 7, This one, the verse that we stopped on. It just occurred to me that this, this is a two-level temptation. So Jesus said, as written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So one, in we shouldn't tempt God by putting ourselves in a situation where God would have to come re- rescue us. And he could have been saying this directly to Satan as a statement to him. You shouldn't tempt the Lord thy God. You shouldn't be tempting me to do to use power that's not for God's glory. So there's two two levels of that temptation. One, Jesus talking about God the Father having to come to his rescue, tempting God to uh, prove God's strength. And the other is Jesus revealing his own <laughs> right. godhood and talking to Satan directly, don't, don't tempt me. Well, and wouldn't it be twofold also? It's almost like it's proving to Jesus why he has to be there. Because is it not true that Satan had the power to give all the kingdoms. Satan controlled basically the yeah, he, kingdoms of the, the earth. Yeah, he's the prince of the air. Right. Yeah, prince of the power of the air. Right. So, yeah, so basically it's kind of like Satan, he's showing he, Jesus, look how powerful I am. So right. what more reason for Jesus not to give in to him? Right. I've got something to say at the very end, but go ahead. So, and then yet again, he comes at him a third time. I'll give you all the, I'll give you the world right. if you just worship me. Um, so one of the questions that I posed was, um, what do we learn about Satan's methods throughout all of this? Um, one, he's persistent. Right. He just keeps coming. And right. he keeps coming with things that are tempting. It's not right. going to be something that's it, what he tempts you with is going to be different than what he tempts me with. Right. Um, he comes to you at certain seasons. And um, like in this example, Jesus was on a mountaintop. Right. Just baptized. He's just spent 40 days right. communing with his father. Like he's ready to go. And here comes Satan. Spoiler alert. Like just trying to crush right. it all. And I think he does that to us. Um, when we're on a mountaintop, does he not come at you with every possible? No doubt. Here comes fear. Here comes things from the past. Just trying to knock you off your mountain. So l- let me say this real quick because I, I know that there has to be, and let me say it this way, and if, if you misread me or misunderstand me, come talk to me. There has to be a layperson equivalent 
because I know the devil, he's an equal opportunity destroyer. But for clergy, for pastors, it'll come to me. Saturday night and Sunday night. It's battle royale. Saturday night, I, you can just mark it down. If you and your wife as a pastor are not prepared, you're going to get in an argument. You just are because he knows what Sunday's is to the pastor. He knows where he needs to be. He knows the mindset he needs to be in. And then Sunday night, if it's been a great day, it's going to be a terrible night. You know, he's just going to make, he's going to try. He knows when to attack. Yes, he does. And so I guarantee you there's a layperson equivalent. And it could be still the same thing uh, centered around church, you know. I mean, how many times as a youth director did I see families get out of their car? Oh, heaven. And, and they've been screaming at each other in the car, and they get out and they put on the smile. Unless there be a hidden camera in my house Sunday morning, yeah. you can almost put it on the board. There's going to be a battle before we get <laughs> right. out the door. Right. That's the thing That's in a my devilish home. Attack. It's happened twice in about the past three or four weeks that I will get in an argument with my children right before bed. That causes me and Lindsay to get into an argument, and we pray every night before we go to bed. But when I am that angry, sure. and calming myself down, I can't bring myself to have a peaceful, calm prayer with the family. Sure. So I'll sit on the couch, and Lindsay goes in there and prays with the kids. But that's <laughs> that's absolutely an attack. He wants to destroy is, that yeah. moment. Does anybody else here get onto their wife and kids through their prayer? <laughs> God, help my wife to see. It's I make obviously the kids her God. When I say that. It's sometimes. that woman you gave me. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Only prophets do that. Amen. 99, 99% of the time, it's in joking. There is that 1% of the time. So, go ahead. There's, there's one more yeah. uh, one more tactic here of Satan that's worth mentioning. Um, if Satan can do a little damage, if he can get his foot in the door, he, he uses that damage or that failure as justification for further damage. So, look, you're not perfect. Go ahead and do... X. Sure. Look, you're um, try, trying to think of a good example of uh, that in work today. I have several examples. I just can't remember any of them right now. But when Satan causes you to fail, he uses that failure as a platform to get you to fail in further things to further it. So this the stronghold. Yeah, just, yeah, and stronghold. just the same as he'll attack you on a mountaintop, he'll attack you in the low. Like, right. when you're down, it's like, you know, let's throw some more salt in this wound, kick you while you're down mentality. He's ruthless. Ruthless. So, so three, three questions that I'm going to force upon this passage, all right? This is for the sake of a, of a devotional thought that Jesus could have asked himself on the, first, on the first temptation, fighting this temptation, he could have asked himself, who am I? I am the son of God. I am the bread of God. Of life. I don't need bread. I don't need bread. I don't need your bread, devil. I'm the bread of life. Go ahead. Well, and notice how Satan even addressed him. If you be if, the son right. of God, he right. attacks us with doubt. Right. Uh, are, are you really are you really a Christian? Security, are you really who significance? You you right. Bet. And then even in uh, he attacks our pride like, well, you're the son of God, aren't right. you? Right. I mean, let's uh, let's see what you can That's do right. if put, you're put the son of God. Yeah. Why am I here? Temptation number two. I'm not here to show my power. I'm not here to show off, flex my muscles. I'm here to serve mankind. I'm not here for myself. Third temptation. I'll give you everything. Who am I? Who am I? I'm here. I'm sorry. Who am I here for? 
I'm here for my father's plan. I'm not here for my own gratification. I'm not here for my own success. I'm here for, and that'll work in yours and my life when we're tempted. Who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm above this. I'm better than this by God's grace. Why am I here? I'm not here for myself. I'm here for my father's glory. Who am I here for? To glorify God and him only. Use scripture. Use that's scripture right. And that's right. Well, and that's how he responded to all of it. It is written. It is written. It is written. And he did not coming, quote it perfectly. It. He did not quote it perfectly. He, what's that word? He uh, paraphrased, paraphrased it. it. He did. And, that, that, and he didn't give scripture and verse either. You know what I'm saying? Chapter and verse. Well, I have a lot more. There might be a part two to the temptation that's, talk that's just wonderful. because uh, there's a whole other section on combating temptation. I think it's important to point out in Luke chapter four, verse 13, it said, and the devil had ended when he had ended all the temptation, he departed for a season, right. meaning he struck when the iron oh, was hot. Yeah. He wasn't done. I'll be back. Right. Exactly. And that's how, what back. he does to us. Got to be ready. All right. Now I'd like to move on to the fun part where we do. I'm just saying. It's been two weeks. Have you come up with something new? So, th- I don't know if this is funny, but it just, it's powerful. Uh, I'm just saying, I love the statement that military, and this is in quotes, military efforts and war is just another means of politics. Let that sink in. Military and efforts and war is just another means of politics. That is coming to a pulpit near you. Aggressive oh, negotiation. Aggressive negotiation. That's right. I had some aggressive ne- negotiation with my children this week. <laughs> Did it involve a lifesaver? <laughs> it should well, have. Hey, I've missed two it of definitely these. Ended better. We've missed Awana twice this year right. because of aggressive negotiation. <laughs> they did not negotiate oh, yeah. correctly. That's right. They chose poorly. I got one. Let's hear it. I think the president delivered the perfect State of the Union address with a little bit of edi- editing. Yeah, I heard about that. And then I thought, you know, this is embrace greatness, so. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so this is a, an adorable deplorable in the making right there. Yep. Just saying. Yeah, you, you're a racist. I just wonder. <laughs> terrible. Terrible. She had to have eaten a handful of peanut butter crackers before that. Just the whole time. Mm-hmm. You do that the whole time. I had a, I'm just saying, I don't have a a thing, if anybody else noticed, but when the the awesome men, especially the Jewish man that was released from the concentration camp was speaking, did anybody notice the design on the cushions behind him? It was, I can't believe it hasn't come out yet. In the cushions, in the stateroom, is a swastika symbol decorated, and so he's talking, and I looked right behind him, and it's a swastika, and I'm like, how did nobody else see that? So I'm just saying they don't. Think about photo ops on some of that. Oh, you'll hear about it in a couple days. Somebody else had to say it. (laughs) Let's see it. Hmm. Well, I'm just saying this is a glimpse into the Thomas Nays that you should all get to know well. Uh, But he texted in our group, uh, I have a problem. I was watching Wheel of Fortune, and all I could see is these old palm tree props. (laughs) And all I'm thinking is, can I get a hold of these old palm tree props somehow, Wheel of Fortune? To which I responded... No kidding, you have a problem. Who's watching Wheel of Fortune on Friday <laughs> night, Tom? On Friday night. I'm just saying. On Friday yeah. night. Ooh. And I did not get a response back from Wheel of Fortune. I emailed uh-huh. them. Yeah. They, they didn't get back. Never hurts to ask. No. <laughs> Check could be in the mail. Buy a could be, Check yes. could be in the mail. All right. Topic number two. So, Ben, um, this was about fasting. Uh, Jesus fasted. And you had recently challenged the church to a fast. 
so that just brings about some questions. Uh, what is biblical fasting? So I'm going to read some to you. Biblical fasting is a spiritual discipline which was encouraged by Jesus himself. While he was on earth, when questioned as to why the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist fasted while Jesus' disciples did not, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. Jesus was indicating that fasting would become a necessity when the bridegroom was taken away. While Jesus, who was God manifested in human form, was still on earth, his followers enjoyed a close fellowship and friendship with him. Jesus bestowed power and authority on them to the extent that they had limited power to preach, heal the sick, and cast out devils. Similarly, when Jesus sent them out to minister to the populace, he instructed them to take a few provisions. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Jesus was teaching that after his departure, the entire dynamic would change, and the disciples would need a different type of preparation and provision. Fasting was to be a vital part of this new preparation. The new covenant is based on the truth that we have received everything in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so it, it goes on. This is on the, uh, the website All About God. It's one of the best websites I have ever found. Uh, way back we did a, uh, the Big Dig. It was an apologetic uh, conference that we went to with the uh, young adults, and they exposed me to the website All About God. With that said, it goes on to, to go into great detail on fasting. For, for me personally, uh, I believe that the Bible pretty well supports that fasting is, and God will sometimes call you to fasting, and then sometimes you will initiate it, you know, type deal. In either direction, obviously, is good and acceptable. But you are, and in most biblical, if not all biblical instances, you are abstaining from your needed sustenance to go only to God and to seek Him, you know, the word concentratedly, if you will, um, and there's also the word consecrated, which it means separated. And so you, you, it, it's you doing everything within your physical power to connect with God and to seek him on a particular item. And God greatly blesses it. Amen. Amen. It's one of the doorways to intimacy with God. It's one pathway. Um, Matthew chapter 6, the first section of that Jesus talks about, take heed that you give not your alms before, before men, that you may be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven, and goes on to explain, give your alms in secret, let not your right hand know what your left hand is doing, um, and your Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And he makes that declaration after giving, financial giving, after prayer, in, in a private way, pri privately praying in your closet where nobody else can see you not like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, and then and after fasting as well. So fasting, is those three are assumed in a Christian walk, and they're all three doorways to intimacy with God. And there's a promise with that that God will bless you openly. When you meet with him, meet with him privately, 
he will bless you openly. So people tend to know that you've been with God because of the way your affairs go after you've been with him. So giving, prayer, and fasting are private matters between you and the Lord. And private dealings with God that he rewards openly. If there's ever any evidence that we have a God that wants intimacy with his people, this is the passage and this is one of the subjects that reveals to us that God wants intimacy with us. And he, he desires those times when we're pursuing an answer, when we've got some struggle going on inside. And I think sometimes the struggle is only broken when we fast, when we, when we pray or, or when we choose to give sacrificially for something. When we're, when we're fighting for an answer, we're fighting for a resolution of a problem. These are the three ways to do it. Um, sacrificial giving, prayer, and fasting. And um, I think if ever there's any evidence that God wants intimate, an intimate relationship with us, this is it. Um, and you might have touched on it. I was trying to look up something. But um, when, when you fast, the hunger that the body has, food is, you don't realize you're hungry until you fast. You know, you know, we don't know what hunger is. You know, people in other countries do. But I, and I believe the Bible even reckons back to your body craving that. Every time you crave that food or that substance to stay alive, it makes you think of God. It does. Every time your stomach grumbles, you think, oh, God. And if, if you push yourself so far to where you think, I don't have the energy to go on, it just causes you to beg God to help you. And I've never been more intimate with God, like you were saying, is when you have nothing else on your mind. It's like you don't have that full belly of steak or Twinkies, you know? It's like it's just you and God, nothing else. Would it be a while for the Twinkies are gone? Two, <laughs> ma two major food groups. Twinkies well, can yeah, Twinkies Twinkies long time. So uh, let, let me say this real quick, that um, the, the, the one extended fast that I have done, I experienced what you're talking about, that you, and, and, I, and I read about it before I experienced it, and I was hoping I would experience it. And uh, John Smith and I were, were, we were on an extended fast, and there comes a point physically that your body basically realizes, okay, this is going on. We don't have food coming in, boys. And they go to other means. They start burning calories, stored fat, so on and so forth. But then there comes a clarity because your body's not doing what it normally does. It's not going through that factory system of processing food and things of that nature. And so it's able to give all of those energies and hormones and such to the brain. And I'm telling you, it's like it's like everything comes into focus. Well, it's like, yeah, they keep uh, take every thought captive. You can't not take every thought yeah. captive. And that's, you know, and, and I always I even feel weird talking about fasting because it's like, you know, don't be like the ones in the synagogues who paint their sure, face. So sure. even talking about it makes me feel like, oh, hey, look at me. But sure. it's a wonderful thing. Sure. And, and the blessing of food after a fast is, I think, a gift from God. That on extended fasts that I've been on, yes, I've been blessed by God openly after them. Just nothing but praises. You know, you thank God for that. But then that first bite of food, because he's like, here you go. Thank you. And, and I look at that as a gift also. I really do. It doesn't taste better until after a fast. I didn't taste till about the eighth bite of food because my eyes had broken. <laughs> <laughs> so I had uh, listened to Charles Stanley uh, had a bit about fasting, and what he had said, and I think it touches on this, was it heightens your spiritual and mental alertness. Um, and he said it, you can sense things that you didn't see before and things about yourself that you didn't see before. And he said usually that's sin. Like you become mm. aware of sin in your life that maybe you weren't 
currently aware of or things that you needed to confess from the past, and it kind of cleans house, if you will. It opens your eyes to um, a whole lot of things because you're not focusing on food eventually. Spiritual uh, detox. Hmm. Well, and how many times, you know, it, it's almost it's an every Sunday thing anymore, but we, we talk about the finger of the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it's one thing for God to quote unquote have to get our attention. It's another thing totally for us to ask for it, you know. Right. And, and, and I mean, that, that's an answer. That's a prayer that God will always answer. He, he will. Uh, you know, I've had people throughout the ministry say, well, I just don't know what God's will is. And I try to assure them, then it's not time. It, because God wants you to know his will more than you do. So when it's time, he will make it plain. Well, and that, amen. And that made me think of something. When I've been in those moments where I fasted to deliver what I was supposed to deliver, the only thing I could give was God's word. I didn't have nothing else. I didn't have none of my own energy. I had none of my own thoughts. It was the only thing I had left in me was God's word. And I think that's one reason why it, it blesses people. I do disagree with people that say, well, I'm going to fast Xbox because I love it for three weeks. I, I disagree with those things. I do believe it should be because I know you even talked last week or the week before in some medical things people can't technically sure. fast and that but you know I, in 99% in of the cases I disagree you know well, it should that, be food. That was one of my questions. Right. Is there quote a correct way to fast? Well so yes from the standpoint of biblically it is food but I don't personally know of a biblical exhortation to quote-unquote, well, with the exception, of course, uh, God, on two different occasions, asks the nation of Israel to abstain from marital relations no more than three days, married couples, no more than three days, but he, he does do that on two different situations. So, Tom, I absolutely understand where you're coming from. I, I can tell you from absolute experience, however, that... Uh, when I have fasted from a particular situation, like I, I am, you ask my, the four people that live with me, I am a radio alcoholic. Every day of the world, I'm listening to Bernie Miklas in the morning, I'm listening to Randy Carricker at, at two to five, I'm li if I'm in the car type thing. And so when I really want to zone in on God, I will fast from that. And uh, I don't know, Tom, if you have a particular music, you know, country music or whatever. But when I was a younger man, I, I was uh, a Southern Gospel alcoholic type thing. Uh, and I fasted from every form of music, every form. I just went to God's Word. And man, after that week, again, you talk about a clarity. And what happened, and this, this was as a result of uh, Bill Gothard encouraging folks to do this, um, when you turn on a, a secular song after a week of not listening to anything, but just, oh, it's so true. all of a sudden the beer drinking and the women chasing and all that, it just jumps out at you. Oh, oh my goodness, I used to listen to this. You my know, kids have heard this. Right. Yeah. Right. If you want to grow spiritually, this is the practice you should get into. You should Amen. get into. So I, I think and about food is the main Food is the main, the main thing. one. Yeah. It's the one that feeds the flesh. And when you deprive the flesh or when you handicap the flesh, you hone the spirit. Right. Um, and that's the whole idea. So if you want Say your that spiritual, again. If you hand, so handicap the flesh to hone the spirit right. um, is a practice. So you want to develop spiritually. You want to grow spiritually. You want to get stronger spiritually. 
Um, you, I mean, Jesus had finished a 40-day fast, and I, again, he, he met the devil at the end of that 40-day fast, the ultimate and spiritual uh, tete-a-tete. So if you want to meet the devil, fast for 40 days. <laughs> I'm kidding. I wouldn't, wouldn't do 40 days, but <laughs> in any event, uh, you have to deprive the fast. It'd be like an experiment in psychology where they made you wear a, the, the um, blindfold, go go with a, use a blindfold for, bird box. For, for a month and see if you don't hone your hearing, if your hearing right. doesn't develop, right. or, or your sense of smell doesn't develop, or your sense of t- touch doesn't uh, develop. When you deprive the flesh, you give the spirit the opportunity to grow and, and develop. So is there a wrong way to fast? In front of everybody and talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, this is my third day of the fast. And, and, and oh, I, I feel I so if, spiritual. And I think if you have, <laughs> if you go in it with fleshly motives, I, I'm going to fast right. for a million dollars. I'm going to fast for Amen. that Z28 yeah. that I want, you know, and such of that nature. Because I've tried it. Don't don't worry about it. I was wondering what a Z28 was. <laughs> a gun? <laughs> Ouch. An energy drink? Such I don't a, know. Such a pup, Tara. Such a pup. <laughs> It's only one of the greatest cars ever. A pup with teeth. Yeah, a pup with teeth. Yeah, right. A sharp teeth. Go ahead, Tom. Some people fast with the secondary motive. Oh, I'm going to look so much better when I'm done. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. And I think if if that thought enters your head, trash that fast and start praying again. Right. You're answering it wrong. Right. Yeah, it's it's not for physical. You have your reward. Right. That's what the Bible says. Right. And I only say that because I've done that a couple times sure. where I then turn to a fast. Oh, this is good. I need to drop five pounds. I'm yeah, like, get this winter weight <laughs> off. That's wrong. Right. That's There's the devil's your reward. Yeah, you know, you're making it about you. got too you. many seasons of winter weight to <laughs> get, get rid of with one fast. <laughs> <laughs> this is Matthew 6, 6.16. It says, Moreover, when you fast, be not as hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I see unto you, they have their reward. This is what we were talking about there. But thou, when thou fast, fast Anoint that head and wash thy face. So act like you're just going out for yeah. um, okay, this, regular deal. I, I have to ask this one. Now, I have struggled when Lindsay will realize if I'm doing that because she hates it. Because I don't announce it to her. Hey, I'm going to try a fast or do this. And then, like, after the – she's caught on now. But, like, when I don't eat lunch or she makes dinner, hey, you going to eat? And I'm like, no. You know, years ago – Are you she, sure? Well, Frying up this ribeye well, over yeah, here. But huh? she didn't know what was going on. So how does that work possibly? I know you become one flesh with somebody. So is that just kind of the understood? Yeah. Like – I, I think it's, it's – you're not, you're not hurting Scripture to, quote, unquote, declare to your wife. Don't fix anything. Don't fix anything for me, babe. I, you know, the next two days or whatever I have set aside for just me and the Lord to, to seek each other and as such. Um, and and I, I guess I say that because with – spiritual growth now she's starting it's not even a question no more but if anybody wants to begin doing that it might throw your husband or wife off yeah yeah i I think i think it's i mean i i've done that uh with with dawn um as she's scraping her plate in the trash right right, yeah (laughs) yeah i I think that's i think that's fine again because because you know when you look right at it, it you are one flesh you know um and and so uh i i believe what the verse that Gavin's reading is taught, you know, if you if you came here Sunday morning and said, okay, church, y'all pray for me. I'm going on a 10-day fast. Right. You, you done blowed it, you know, type thing. All right. So on to our next uh, little segue. Would you rather? Ben's personal favorite. I actually have a good one this week, believe it or not. It's just rare. Well, it just so happens, I guess, uh, you know, preparing. It just so happens you have four? No, no, preparing on food, I made it about 
or <laughs> prayer, you know, fasting, I made it on food. Would you rather eat your favorite steak with your favorite topping or your favorite casserole with your favorite side for the rest of your life? So you got to choose one. You're going to have steak, and like me, it would be, you know, steak and shrimp for the rest of my life, or uh, broccoli cheese casserole and something for yeah. the rest of your life. <laughs> I think we all know I don't care for meat very much, so we I'm going, going casserole all day long on that. that Something with potatoes. Okay, there you go. There you go. And your dad's not here, we can say Yeah, that, I know. So. If my yeah, dad see, were here, I'd be like, steak too. all the way, dad. Steak for sure. <laughs> I could steak. not live without red steak. Without red meat, I could not make it. Yeah, there you go. I wouldn't make it. And I'd, I'd do the steak. Oh, yeah. You know what? Ironically, I had to have some blood work. <laughs> You need to eat a little meat. I'm iron deficient in yeah, a bad time. Of course you are. And I was like, oh, eat some red meat. Eat a hamburger, girl. A um, cheeseburger. Eat a cheeseburger, yeah. <laughs> Did you guys see the uh, these shows talking about the Super Bowl food and such? And they had the, the steak guy. And he, no, he called it the Brontosaurus. He had a beef rib. And then it had the, you know, the loin still on it. It was about... Two and a half inches Gross. thick, and and it, it had a glob of butter. No lie, that was the size of your fist. Did it look like something Fred Flintstone would <laughs> eat? Absolutely. That's yeah. what it was. That's what it was going Scratch for. The Brontosaurus. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just thinking. You know, it. it says we were made in God's image, and God loved the burnt offerings, the right. smell oh, he's of a the steak meat, guy, I guarantee and that you're just like God loves to grill. Know, so maybe you've got to question you your spirituality. <laughs> Let's read the book of Daniel. I think we need to talk about what Daniel ate there. Pulse. Pulse. <laughs> yeah, all, all right. beans too. Would you rather have a diet of manna or a diet of locusts and honey? Locusts and honey for oh, me. Oh, locusts and honey. Really? Yeah. Gross. Are you serious? I'm a honey guy. This was a no-brainer. That's like bacon on everything. Very tastes light better. On the locusts. Very heavy on the honey. Oh, I keep thinking manna has to be some kind of bread. I could be a prisoner. It is. I, would I love imagine. bread. Ambrosia. Ambrosia. It's the food what of heaven. What if what if manna was just another word for steak? That'd be my luck. Yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. see any red-blooded. <laughs> Jew guy saying, oh, another ribeye? I can't yeah. see that. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure it's yeah. bread You're going to be sorely disappointed. You were like, I was wrong the whole time. It's a kumquat. Kumquat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what a kumquat is. All right, let's move on. All right. Um, so uh, this poses a question that you had preached on a couple weeks back now. The snow days have kind of uh, got me off a little, I won't lie. Um, but you said something is God's love language, and you specifically um, said a, a particular thing that you said, I believe this is God's love language, and we wanted to expand on that. So in your opinion, what is God's love language? Okay. So if it's okay, let, let's give the, the underpinning here so that everybody's on the same page. Um, and, and, and honestly, that's how I took Gavin's first text about about this subject. So this originates from a book, The Five Love Languages. Mm -hmm. uh, Gary Chapman uh, wrote it 20, 25 years Which, ago. Which, by the way, my Sunday school class is starting next week. Perfect. Shameless Perfect. plug. Yeah. Shameless plug. John Smith, uh, I don't know what the word would be, exposed me to this book because he had a testimony in his own marriage that and if you know John and Deborah Smith, wonderful people, love each other just as much as any two people can. 
but they had gotten to a place of staleness in their marriage. And John couldn't figure, he was doing everything he knew to do to try to reach this woman. And so somebody gifted him with this book, or the Lord brought it to him. And the book essentially says that love languages are like our spoken language, in that whatever love language you are, that's how you love people. The only problem with that is if they don't have the love language you have, it's like speaking Spanish and they're an English speaker. So if you really want to communicate love to your wife, husband, children, or whatever, you need to learn what their love language is and speak their love language. There's five love languages, acts of service, uh, quality time, words of affirmation, touch, and gifts. And so uh, my wife's love language, and, and I'm just going to tell you right now, you women are never fair. You won't, you won't pick one. You always pick two. Yeah. Smart and, move. Mm. Smart so move. my wife has narrowed it down, <laughs> narrowed it down to acts of service and or gifts. So uh, I wash a lot of dishes now. Didn't used to do that. I didn't believe it was biblical. But I wash a lot of dishes because, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a preacher. You've got to make everything spiritual. But, and I don't hardly pass a hospital gift shop. They have some of the most beautiful costume jewelry and the such. And so I bought her something yesterday. Uh, but with all that said, that has greatly helped our relationship. She knows what my love language is, and she knows, you know, how to do that. With all that said couple Sundays ago, I, I just I felt like that I had the, the, the question, so what's God's love language? Surely, and, and, and guys, I will not, I haven't read the book. I, I've read a few. <gasps> chat, I know, terrible. But I, John Smith, you need to come to my school I know, he, he gave me everything I needed to know type thing. And I have read some, I just haven't read it all the way through. With that said, um, if God did create us this way, Surely he has a love language also. So the Bible says, if you love me, finish it for me. Keep, Keep my, my commandments. commandments. So I believe God's love language is obedience. And, and it also goes back to what Dr. Hook said years ago about the Kogay tree, the knowledge of good and evil, that every time the uh, Adam and Eve passed that Kogay tree without taking of the fruit, they were telling God, I love you. And mm. every time they passed the tree that they could eat of and there was fruit on it which was every time that was God saying I love you and so God loves us through provision through keeping his promises through Christ so on and so forth we love him by obeying him amen amen so I think the first time I considered this topic of how to love God essentially it was how how do we show God love and I was looking at Matthew 22 um, where Jesus said, uh, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. For this is the first and great command. And I thought, how do you love God? Like, it was, I can even remember, I mean, I it was about 28 years old, and I remember for the first time in my life thinking, how do I love God? How do I show, God loves me, I know he does, but how do I show God that I love him? And the only thing I could think of was just doing what he says to do. Right. And it was like not very profound and very profound all at the same time. And it got me thinking, like, am I tithing? Am, mm. I, am I telling people about God? Am I, am I just doing what he tells me to do? Right. And that's the only thing I could come up with is I think it's just obedience. Amen. This is uh, taken from John 14, 15, this discussion. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is John 14, 15. And then a few verses after, it, I'll just read them here. 
And, if, and I will pray the Father, and he will, shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that, at that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye, ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. So we just talked about three ways of intimacy to God. Here's one more. Um, add to giving, sacrificially, praying, fasting, and obedience. The three ways to get to know God. God reveals himself to you when you obey him. So you're moving closer to God when you, when you obey him. Um, following him and what he asks you to do causes him to want to give more of himself to you. Then you love him more, so you want to do more for him. So he reveals more of himself to you. This is the cycle of Christian growth. So the more you know of him, the more you love him, the more you want to obey him, the more he reveals of him, himself to you, the more you want to obey him. And it's just a Christian cycle. So adding that as one more layer of intimacy with God. <clears throat> so what, what I came from at this question, from when you mentioned the, the love language of God, I came from it from the other side. <clears throat> Excuse me. And if... God commands us to obey him so that we're expressing love to him. Isn't that a little self-serving? I mean, you're coming at this from a non-Christian's point of view. Isn't that a little self-serving to, to say, uh, so I have to become your slave to, to, for you to you feel love for me? <clears throat> Some of you uh, may have heard Robbie Zacharias two weeks ago on Sunday, he was talking about this particular subject from the other perspective of this too. A man, and it was a, he's a very wealthy man from another country, him and his wife are separated, struggling through their marriage, trying to get reconciled. And the man is, heard Robbie speak, he invited him to come to uh, talk with him and his wife on his yacht in the Mediterranean Sea. It's hard to so turn this, that down. this guy's yeah. kind of connected. So he's been working on trying to re uh, kindle things with his wife, and um, it's just not working out. She's she's stalling, she's stalling. And he just asks him, well, where are you at with God? What's going on with you? And he said, well, you know, God has all these rules, and he wants you to follow all these rules, and it just seems a little, um, it kind of puts me off that, you know, I've got to jump through a bunch of hoops for, for God. Um, to bless to, me. To bless me and to have a relationship with me. I think that's a little petty. And so as the discussion goes on, and he's working, trying to uh, reconcile with his wife, his wife just keeps saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. And he, he, the man uh, says, well, why won't you do this? this? This is how we can get back together and make our marriage work. And Robbie says, turns to me, says, well, you know, how is it that you have all these rules and criteria that you want your wife to embrace so that she can love you? But when it comes to your relationship with God, it's it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. It's shallow. Um, so so when you come down right down to it, all of us, all of us, have some criteria or standards that we measure someone's affection to us by. The love languages. We, right. So uh, acts of service. We measure someone's love, or we feel someone is loving us by them submitting to voluntarily the rules that we have that define love. So, so 
sometimes I feel like we're a hypocrite sometimes when we look at God with this question and say God's uh, kind of self-serving. That's the definition of love. If you think about what love is, it's voluntarily submitting to what the other person needs or what the other person sees as love. And God sees as love us uh, edifying each other, valuing each other, um, contributing to each other. That, so his commands are, are horizontal and vertical. And the way he defines love is so much deeper and richer. And we sometimes can say, by obeying God? But when we're obeying him, we're, you know, we're, we're building things. We're benefiting ourselves. Y- yes, I- I- each other and ourselves. He, Amen. He, know, he has our best interest at heart. <clears throat> Everything he has asked us to do is in our best interest. The manufacturer has the best uh, rules for how to and how not to use the, <laughs> the, de- the device. And we're, well, we are his manufactured product. Well, it's like... Um, like at the Grand Canyon, they put up guardrails not to keep you from enjoying it, right? to keep you from hurting yourself. Amen. And then that's what God does with his word. One of the things that I always went to is we all know the three, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent about God. And I don't remember where I heard this one, but it was omnibevolent, is all loving. Right. And it was uh, John fifteen thirteen. greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Right. And he did it. And that is just basically God saying, I loved you and I died for you. There's no greater love than that. Amen. Is it Romans that it says, per adventure for a good man, some may dare to die. But Jesus died for us. <laughs> While we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners. And, and no, nobody that has gotten a snoot full of their own humanity would ever say, oh, yeah, I'm a good guy. No. Amen. <laughs> uh, we're deserving of everything that was coming our way, but Jesus loved us, you know. And, and, and that's one thing while you were talking there. Uh, it's, it's not like that God did all of this before we ever needed it. I mean, that's exactly what he did. So, you know, y- yeah, you could say it's self-serving, but, but look what he did for you while you were not, unlo- you were not lovable. Uh, so wh- while we were still grossly in our exceeding sinfulness, he paid the price for our sin. Yeah, you teach your baby not to touch the oven right? while they're little, so they right. don't do it when they're older. Right. And you don't have to obey God. No. God never forces you. No. But when you do, he feels that you have affection for him. That's right. You uh, esteem him when you're, when you're being obedient. If you want to know him, try it. Amen. And there's no greater feeling in those little victories when we all have our pet sin, that we, we want to do it. We just be honest. We want to do that. Okay, no one's watching. I'm going to, and then you start fighting yourself and you don't do it. There is no greater blessing right. that next moment when you're like, wow, we, we did one. And that, and that goes both directions, meaning there's some things that we know we ought to do that we don't want to do. Right. I had the treadmill on two today. I was loving it. <laughs> <laughs> Needed to go to four. I didn't want to do that. Almost didn't. <laughs> But, you know, you, you got to, it goes both directions. There's some things that you ought not do, you know, that, 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 that you need to not do. Amen. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all we have for tonight. Any other comments, concerns? That was fast. All right. So we'll see you all next week, uh, weather willing. <laughs>